0: Hi, this is Steve Nerlich from Cheap Astronomy. Why, 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 why Cheap Astronomy? Yeah, why? And this is Dear Cheap Astronomy, Episode 4, A Bit of Orbital Mechanics. It's not easy, comprehending that you live on the surface of an oblate spheroid, orbiting a G-type star at 30 kilometers a second. Well, it's not easy, but we did eventually work it out. So when we say the Sun comes up, well, no. Of course, that's just the Earth's rotation bringing the Sun into view again. And when the stars seem to shift about over the course of a year... That is just because the Earth is shifting around in its solar orbit, from one side of the Sun to the other. So the patch of night sky you see in December is actually the other side of the Universe from the patch of sky that you see in June. It's all just astronomy. And here's Barry to try and explain a particular example.
1: This is Barry Howell. Today's question comes from Lee, from South Africa. Dear Cheap Astronomy, Why can we view the Southern Cross every night of the year? Is it something to do with the position it has relative to the Sun and the Earth? Well, you can view the Southern Cross every day of the year if you live in the Southern Hemisphere. Your position on the Earth's surface is the key issue here. The Southern Cross is a southern circumpolar constellation. The South Celestial Pole is a fixed point in the sky that would be directly overhead if you were standing at the South Pole, and it would be right down on the horizon if you were standing on the equator. The Southern Cross is relatively close to the South Celestial Pole, and so it appears to shift around the pole as the Earth rotates. At least, that is what it appears to do from the point of view of people living in the Southern Hemisphere. If you live in the Northern Hemisphere, you will only see the Southern Cross for part of the year, and you won't see it at all if you are in a very northerly latitude. Anyhow, in one full rotation of the Earth, which takes 23 hours and 56 minutes, if you are far enough south, you will be able to see that the Southern Cross does a full 360 degree movement about the South Celestial Pole. But of course unless you are actually at the South Geographic Pole in midwinter, you will only see part of that shift each night, because each day the Earth's rotation inevitably turns you into line with the Sun again, which will turn the sky blue and block out your view of the night sky for the next 12 hours or so, depending on where your latitude is. But you are also right that there is that important issue of the position of the Sun and the Earth. If you live in a southerly latitude, and you stick your head out the window at about 9pm at night in June, you will find that the Southern Cross is pretty much overhead, almost directly above the South Celestial Pole. But if you stick your head out of the window at 9pm at night in December, it will be down near the horizon, almost directly below the Southern Celestial Pole. This is because in June, you are making an observation from one side of the Earth's orbit about the Sun, and in December you are making an observation from the other side of the Earth's orbit about the Sun. Remember that the Earth rotates once on its axis every 23 hours and 56 minutes. The extra four minutes that make up our solar day of 24 hours, being the time measured from one sunrise to the next sunrise, results from the fact that each day the Earth shifts around a little in its 365.25 day orbit about the Sun. This slight shift makes the Sun appear to stay in the sky two minutes longer in the day and also to rise two minutes later each night. So every day all the stars, including the Southern Cross, gain an extra four minutes of rotation compared to the previous day. That extra four minutes a day adds up to 28 minutes a week, which is about two hours a month, which is about 12 hours every six months. So the Southern Cross gains an extra 12 hours in rotation every six months. Since 12 hours is about half a day, or about half an Earth rotation, the constellation is rotated 180 degrees away from the position it had at the same time of night six months ago. I hope that makes sense. Oh, and a footnote here. Of course it's true that if you live really close to the Northern or Southern Geographic Pole, The rule that there is always 24 hours between one sunrise and the next sunrise may not apply. But we have to remember that the people who first invented 24-hour clocks didn't live in those sorts of places.
0: And thanks Barry. It is a real challenge trying to visualize the complexities of orbital mechanics from the surface of a rotating planet. It is generally easier just to imagine yourself staring down at the solar system from above, from where you can see all the rotations and all the orbits. But even with that perspective, trying to navigate a spacecraft through the solar system adds a whole new set of complications. Take it away, Dharani.
2: Dear Cheap Astronomy, Please explain the Lagrangian points, and why they are important to space probes. John from the UK. Hi, John. Lagrangian points are an interesting feature of orbital mechanics, which we'll explain as we go. But first, let's think about the space probe part of your question. There are two main types of probes. An exploratory probe is one that you are going to send on a journey, like the Voyager probes, which flew by the gas giants and then just kept on going out to the edge of the solar system, or the messenger mission, which we just sent inwards to explore Mercury. But there's also an important collection of observational probes which we just park out in space to sit there, often for 10 years or more, just to study the universe or to study the sun from a safe distance. But, of course, parking a probe in space is no straightforward matter. Space is not the sort of place where anything can ever really be considered stationary. The Earth only maintains a stable orbit around the sun because it's moving at about 30 kilometers a second. Slow it down, and its orbit will decay towards the sun. Speed it up, and its orbit will rise away from the sun. The same rule applies to space probes. If you don't immediately want your probe to plummet headlong into the sun, you're going to have to place it in a fast-moving orbit. And although there are plenty of different stable orbits you could put it in, if it's not moving at the same orbital velocity as the Earth, then there will be times when it will disappear behind the sun, and you will lose valuable data collection time. So. What you really want is to have your observational probe move alongside the Earth and to have it move at exactly the same orbital velocity around the sun as the Earth moves. One easy solution to this is to just put the probe into orbit around Earth, which is what we have done with the Hubble Space Telescope, for example. Hubble works quite well in Earth orbit since it can study bits of the sky to the north or the south continuously, and it can track other objects for part of an orbit until the Earth gets in the way. And for a lot of astronomy, That's all you need. Like cameras here on Earth, the fainter an object is, the longer exposure time you need to capture the image. Hubble does an orbit of Earth every 96 minutes, which is actually a lot of exposure time for most objects, and you can often get away with stacking multiple exposures from different orbits if you need to. For example, the iconic Hubble Deep Field image, which shows a sky full of faint and distant galaxies, was composed of 342 exposures taken over 10 consecutive days. But for very faint objects, and indeed the faintest light of all, the cosmic microwave background, you might still need a better solution. Indeed, you really want a solution that avoids a lot of Earth-related background noise, like reflective Earthshine, Earth's own black body radiation, and of course, all that nonstop radio babble generated by us humans. Wouldn't it be great if there was somewhere you could park a spacecraft that was a. distant from the Earth, but b. still moved at exactly the same orbital velocity as the Earth? And this is where the Sun-Earth-Lagrangian points come in. There is a point 1.5 million kilometers closer to the Sun than Earth's orbit, where you'd expect an object would have to move faster than Earth to maintain a stable solar orbit. But at this point, Lagrangian point 1, if an object does try to move faster, the gravity of the Earth drags it back again. Lagrangian point one is where we have parked some of our long term solar observation probes like SOHO since 1996, ACE since 1997, and WIND since 2004. And there's another point about 1.5 million kilometers further out from the Sun where things should move slower than Earth, but Earth keeps on giving them an acceleratory pull of gravity assist so objects at list Lagrangian point 2 also move at Earth orbit velocity, even though they are 1.5 million kilometers further out than Earth's orbit. Lagrangian point 2 is where we park some of our deep universe observation probes that need extreme quiet and cold temperatures to operate effectively. For example, the microwave background probes WMAP and Planck, and also infrared probes like Herschel. And, sometime after 2018, the James Webb Space Telescope. I hope that answers your question.
0: And thanks, Darny. Well, there you go. I hope this helped you to understand how we navigate around the solar system, as well as navigate around on the Earth, at least in the southern hemisphere, from where you can see the Southern Cross. And so ends another episode of Dear Cheap Astronomy. If you are having a space navigation problem or are faced with some other cosmological conundrum, why not send a query to cheapastro at gmail.com. This is Steve Nellick. Thanks for listening.